Hello creatives, my name is Catherine. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been with us since the start, welcome to our weekly podcast, where we get to hear stories and insights from leaders in the Catholic creative world. This week, we hear from Kate Anderson, Legal Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, a nonprofit mission with protecting our first freedoms. As a photographer myself, I have followed the lawsuits against individuals and businesses who have been sued for wanting to preserve personal expression within their artistic form. Very early on in my own career, I saw how this legal climate caused me to hesitate in my own decisions about clients. The struggle of what is the right thing to do from a theological and a moral perspective can be hard enough. The fear of legal repercussion only adds immense pressure to that. Being able to bounce ideas off of the community of Catholic creatives on the theological side and ADF for the legal side provided a lot of foundation for my decisions. What Kate speaks about also reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend in Australia. Many years ago, he was the first to state clearly to me that freedoms for me meant freedom for others. A good humbling lesson that I can't demand to have my freedom of speech if I'm also not willing to allow others to have it, even when I disagree with what they say. We hope you enjoy this podcast and we look forward to hearing your thoughts over in the Facebook group. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. It's going to be a really fun conversation, talking about law and stuff. It's going to be great. It's one of my favorite topics, so. Great. Okay, so before we jump too far into it, tell me who you are, first off, your name, and uh, what you do. Just give people some orientation to what we're doing. My name's Kate Anderson, and I'm an attorney, and I'm legal counsel with a nonprofit organization called Alliance Defending Freedom, and that organization focuses entirely on protecting our first freedoms, so free speech and freedom of religion, conscience rights, those kinds of things. Awesome. Okay, so give me some setting. Where are you at right now? Paint us a picture. I am in the office at a lovely conference table that looks like it's maybe seen a few better days and (laughs) what is that fern behind you real or fake important question Uh, it is fake Um, oh man and i'm in sunny arizona and it's actually pretty nice today wow all right cool is that where adf is is located our headquarters is in scottsdale arizona although we have offices in other parts of the country mainly one in dc and one outside of atlanta cool Right, so that's yeah. I would, totally would have assumed you were in you were in DC, but that's, that's good to know. All right, cool. So let me just ask real quick, like for some background to you and why you care about these things. Tell me about Kate from high school and and how you came to be a lawyer. What was your journey? Kate in high school was kind of a nerd and very focused on my grades and my school stuff. So I was that girl that was always worried about school and her grades. I played piano and I was in choir. Uh, That was sort of the extent of my musical and creative talent. Um, But uh, also really involved with youth group. I'm a cradle Catholic, been Catholic all my life, and started to get really involved and engaged in youth group while I was in high school. And that continued with Catholic campus ministry at my college. I was, I guess just for background, I'm from Washington State, actually, and went to college there. Became interested in the law. I'm not entirely sure how. Uh, My mom's a writer, and my dad is has been a volunteer firefighter for 25 years. So I think I thought that law would be a place that I could both write, which I really liked, and 
provide some community service and benefit to people. I really wanted to help people. So cool. you got you have a, like a lot of arguments with your siblings and like that that lead you anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> my mom used to joke that I would always intervene for my sister and say, "Wait, mm. don't say anything until I get there," and then <laughs> try to defend her for whatever she had done. That's good. So more of like the sibling defender. That's interesting. I think so. I think I was. So when did you decide you were gonna you were gonna go into law? Was there like any sort of catalyzing decision point that led you there? I think it just kind of grew from me and I grew into it. Uh, in college, I was a bit interested in it. I took a job as a receptionist and then a legal assistant in a law firm. And the firm focused a lot on social security disability. So I was working with people who really, really needed help from the legal system to be able mm. to continue on in their lives. And I loved that. And I found that that desire to help people was something that I really could do through law. I went to Gonzaga Law School, great basketball team, nice. and, <laughs> and got to know a little bit about Alliance Defending Freedom there through a professor that I had there. I ended up doing an internship focused largely on pro-life issues with Alliance Defending Freedom. And then after college and law school went sort of the traditional route of private practice, I did pretty much all litigation, again, helping people, a lot of injury cases, major injury cases, and found there that I was really able to, again, help people through what I was doing, and that really spoke to me. From there, kind of getting on to ADF where I am now, I began working more and more with churches and nonprofits and saw the real need there to be able to explain to people of faith how the laws apply to them and to be able mm -hmm. to deal with that. I ended up having the blessing of working on a case defending the rights of conscience of pharmacists in Washington state. Just felt a real calling to delve more into conscience rights and into all of our freedoms in that regard. And a place opened up at ADF actually on what we call their conscience team, which is what I'm doing now. And so God brought that me That sounds so scary, scary, the conscience team. Right? <laughs> That's like... <laughs> Right, anyway, <laughs> sounds Orwellian, although that's like totally the opposite of what, yeah, you guys are about, but. <laughs> yeah, it's scary though how much conscience can be under attack and how we're not really seeing that in our everyday life, I think. What was one moment during all of that that really, you just got super pissed, that just like made you more angry than you've ever been in your life? <laughs> Probably that case defending the rights of pharmacists in Washington. The state was telling pharmacists that they were going to dictate what pharmacists carry on their shelves and what medication they distribute. And that's insane to me. You're going to a medical professional because you trust their judgment and you want them to exercise their moral judgment about what treatment they give you, what medication they give you, and then to have the state come in, untrained pharmacists, Telling pharmacists how to do their job did really, really upset me. Yeah, that's what what made you so like so mad about that? Like what felt like that was unjust? Just the attack on our basic freedoms. We live in America and one of the things that is unique and important about this country are those first freedoms. We have the freedom of speech, we have freedom to express our religious beliefs and to live according to them. And you could see that so much under attack in that arena. They're telling people what they can say, what they can do, how they live out their lives. And that's something that's dangerous for everybody. It doesn't matter how you feel about a particular medication or a particular issue. 
if the government starts telling people what they can do and what they can say, it leads to what they can think. And that's mm. scary. That is scary. I think it's especially scary when you start to talk about the creative professions because like creativity essentially is what drives culture. Like you, so if you are protecting in some way a certain kind of thought from creatives being able to express themselves, it's going to lead to like such a constricting of thought. That's what I love about what I'm doing now because the conscience team, quote unquote, uh, right now is so focused on helping creative professionals because that's where we're seeing a lot of the litigation pop up and a lot of the threats to freedom. And I know from talking to my mom, I know from talking to clients, how personal expression and creative expression is. It's coming from your very heart and everything that you are. And I think you're spot on that it drives culture. It's how we learn to think about things in a new way. It's how we experience the world. I mean, pictures and creations are so much more than just words. And so it, it's just such an important area for our culture. And it's sad to see any kind of encroachment upon that. Yeah. One thing that has been on my mind a lot, and part of the reason why we're having the conversation is like the reason for this group, like our why is setting creatives free so that a new renaissance can be unleashed. Not like that word freedom to us, it means a lot. It means like inner freedom, the freedom of being in communion with the Lord and knowing his fatherhood and knowing that like we are free in him. But it also sometimes can be easy to forget that actually like the physical reality that we're living in, that like the, the literal freedom that we have to do what we do is actually at stake in some ways. And so it's really awesome to know that there are people out there that are actually like seeing that and wanting to protect and defend that freedom for us, even if like we're not even super aware of it all the time. So thank you for that. That's awesome. I, uh, I saw your mission uh, and your wise statement, and it's so in line with our own here for our team. We talk about all the time that we just want to help creative professionals be able to live and work according to their beliefs and to be able to be free to, to do that, whatever that means for them. And I just think it's such an important thing. That's so good. So I think just to set, set up the conversation, part of what I care about deeply in this is the first principles of what, what freedom actually is, what, what it means, why it's important. And I think like just in, in our political climate, like anytime we have conversations about politics, it's so easy to get into like the polarized issues at hand. And so I just wanted to like ask about if you could give us some setting as to like what the general landscape looks like right now and maybe some historical lead up to how, how things have, have gone in our country to lead us to where, where, where we are in terms of freedom of expression. Yeah, I, I think as I look around at the cases and the things that we're seeing going on in the country, we're seeing a lack of dedication and concern about our first freedoms, particularly free speech and freedom of religion. And I think we're starting to forget how important those are for exactly what you're talking about, the renaissance of the mind, the ability to live according to your own beliefs, the freedom to disagree about things and have a healthy culture because of that. And all of those things are wrapped up in that. We're seeing a lot of it come up on college campuses, honestly, as an example. Students that are told they can only speak freely in a speech zone. So there's literally 
like a square spot on campus that's the only place that students are allowed to speak free. That's unconstitutional, but that's something that we're seeing come up. And I think you're absolutely right about the polarizing effect. It seems that as I look back in history in the case law, these attacks on free speech and freedom of religion occurred around issues that were sort of hot issues of the time and things that were very polarizing. For example, one of the sort of landmark cases on free speech and the rule that the government can't compel somebody to speak a message or to create anything that they disagree with. Uh, that came out of World War II and a group of Jehovah Witnesses that didn't want to salute the flag or give the Pledge of Allegiance. And that was at a time when, because of World War II, national security and those national issues were so important. And that's why all of the schools were starting to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And it was seen as treason in the culture not to do that. But it was so important for the court to step in and say, Jehovah Witnesses have the right to live according to their beliefs. And that has nothing to do with the war or nationalism or anything like that. That kind of thing cropped up again with communism. And there were lots of laws that required what were called loyalty oaths, pledging a loyalty oath to the United States. And for various reasons, religious groups or political groups didn't want to do that. And those were overturned kind of on the same issue. But again, at that time, it was super polarizing for people. Oh, you're a communist or those kinds of issues. And I think that when we're in that situation, what happens is that because the issue is so polarizing, it's easy to forget the real issues at stake, to think, oh, I don't care about that particular issue, or I agree with the government on that particular issue, so I don't really care about the, the restraints that are going on. Right. But we really do need to care because what kind of law is being laid down in those circumstances is the right of everybody to make their own decisions about the messages they speak, the things they believe, the things they think all are wrapped into that. And right now we're seeing a lot of litigation uh, surrounding same-sex marriage and creative professionals in the wedding industry. Uh, that's, it's not entirely related to that. We're also seeing things crop up with other promotional work that people have a religious objection to doing sort of promotional work. But a lot of it has centered around same-sex marriage and I think that's just the issue of today that is so polarizing and it's easy for people to say I don't want to get involved in that issue or I'm not in the wedding industry, so I don't care, but it's the bigger principles that are being played out there. Yeah, and one of the things that I've learned about law, you know, just in all the TV shows that I've watched about it, you know, <laughs> when you have a law that, that, get, that comes into play, like it's oftentimes tied to a specific situation, but then 10, 15 years later, it's being applied totally differently. So a whole different set of situations and scenarios so being applied in different ways and, and that like that small restriction just ends up becoming just applied in so broad broad of a way that it it ends up actually becoming a tool for tyranny it's like just the way that law it feels like in human nature works that way so tell me about like these now i don't even remember what you called them <laughs> but the public accommodation laws that's it that's what I called them. Yeah, a lot of the litigation we're seeing is coming up related to public accommodation laws and how those apply particularly to creative professionals. Now, those are laws that were born out of the civil rights movement and were designed to ensure basic services for all people, regardless of race, sex, national origin, those kinds of things. So originally, those laws were targeted at basic necessities, things like hotels, restaurants. They served a really good purpose, and they still, in certain contexts, do. But over time, various states and cities 
have added to those laws and begin to interpret those laws in different ways, and particularly in ways that infringe upon the First Amendment and cause other problems. So, for example, there are a lot of cities and states that have begun to add to the definition of what is a public accommodation. So it's no longer just a store that somebody goes into. It's virtually anything that's offered to the public at any level, which pulls into it nonprofits, donations, anybody who runs an internet business, things you give away as well as things you sell in some places. And they've also added to the classifications of what are called protected classes, the people that fall under those laws that are protected. And you have cities like Madison, Wisconsin, that have more than 20 characteristics that they're protecting under this law. Things like physical appearance, criminal record, things that could have under unintended consequences. One that we're seeing crop up quite a bit, 14 states have either the state or the city has what's called a political belief protection. So they protect people based on their political beliefs and no one can be treated any differently in the provision of any service whatsoever based on their political belief. That might sound normal until you start thinking about how that actually plays out. So you have a speechwriter who writes for the Democratic Party. Well, if a Republican comes in and says, I want you to write a speech, it would be a violation of the law for that person to say, actually, you'd be better served by this other speechwriter I know that, that focuses on your issues. That would be a law violation, and in some places, a criminal law violation. So it just gets to be kind of insane how some of those things play out. Plus you have human rights commissions that enforce these statutes that are interpreting them and applying them much, much, much more broadly. So you could get into political belief where it could be immigration issues, Trump's travel ban, Planned Parenthood, any kind of environmental group. All of these things could be deemed political and so anyone who does work for organizations promoting them or artistic work for their products could be pulled into a situation where they're required to do work that they just can't in good conscience do. It's not an issue that they believe in. Right. Like, even if it's not being super, like, it, even though it's being specifically applied only in very small ways, in a broader sense, like, that's a really scary thing. But like, if we keep moving down the same path that we're on in, like, five, ten years, we could be seeing, uh, we could be really seeing some some very intense damages to our ability to, to operate the way yeah. we want to. Right. And you have places like uh, Dallas and Fort Worth that have really broad statutes that could apply to a whole array of things. And in some parts they may have been applied, in some parts they may have been there for quite a while and not been applied yet, but more and more and more these commissions are getting braver in how they do it. We are seeing a lot of it related to LGBT issues but it goes so far beyond that because that's just the issue that everyone's concerned about right now. As you add more and more characteristic, it's going to be another issue tomorrow. Right. And I think that's, that's a really important thing for us to all be, be thinking about. And that's, I mean, that's part of the whole deal with like the community that we're trying to start. So like Catholic creatives is full of very different thinking people. Like we have people that are good friends of mine that are like on the very far fringes of left that are like proto-communists. And there are friends that I have in the group that are like totally like anti-authoritarian anarchists. And <laughs> people that, and the diversity of even beliefs about how the church should operate and what, like whether or not we should, I mean, we're having a conversation right now that's going on in the group about diversity and minority rights. And like, it's not supposed to be like a political issue necessarily. It's more of like 
how do we as a church become more open and more collaborative between communities? But like, Isn't that wonderful? It, it's awesome. Yeah. But it's also like extremely triggering. Like our wounds are so tied up in it. And so it, like what happens, what I, I tend to see happening in, in the group, and this is like true, just all Facebook in general, like polarization within the world is like, we, we hear about an issue and immediately we get triggered ourselves. We get angry. We get like, you know, afraid of how this person's thought could end up encroaching on our freedom. And what that leads to that I see is we forget to think about the actual implications of the principles themselves. Like we get so locked into the issues that are at hand, like thinking about LGBT issues is like, man, we've got to protect LGBT rights. Like, yeah, that's true. But the whole point of these these laws at the beginning was protecting minorities. What happens when like the LGBT community and the people that believe in the are, are on on LGBT team become the majority, and then the religious community that is you're saying like we actually don't believe that like what happens when they become the minority? You know like these these things have to be applied to everyone like everyone needs to be able to be free to do and live the lives that they're called to I think that's so true uh, I said I was a nerd in high school but I also had friends all across the board and I grew up in an area where I was in somewhat of the minority being Catholic and caring about my faith but I loved that I loved that there were so many people in my life that had diverse views and I continue to love that and I think it's something that's so valuable that we're missing when we let our our own wounds and our own biases on either side cloud our view because I think the creative professions, every profession in the world in general is better when there's freedom for people to disagree. And you can see how that moves culture and that changes people. And when we have really different political views or views on a particular issue, but we can come together on what's the same, I just think that's such a beautiful thing. And we're at risk of losing some of that in these yeah. kinds of cases. To me, it's, it, it is it's an, an issue. issue. Like, if we care about that, we need to be able to go into dialogue with people that are different. Like, I think that difference in thought is so much more difficult to have diversity in than like diversity of skin color or ethnicity. You know, like we are so different in the way that we think and that's gotta be okay. Yes. So, <laughs> I wonder too, if we're a little bit scared of people, like start, part of our wounds are that we're scared of people who think differently than we do because it might change us. But I think that's such a good thing to yeah. be able to, to be changed and to see things differently because somebody comes at it from a completely different perspective and to be able to grow as a culture that way. So that is part of what I wanna protect. Yeah, I love that you wanna protect that. That means so much. Tell me about like a couple of the cases that you guys are, are dealing with right now and how, like, how the, that's working. What are some of the things going on? So people might have heard of the case about Jack Phillips. We represent him. He's a cake artist in Denver. He started a place called Masterpiece Cake Shops, and he provides artistic cakes to the community. It's also become a place, his shop, where a lot of people gather. There are Bible studies there. There's an AA group that regularly comes in there and meets there in his shop. And he's, if you ever meet him, he's just the kind of person that gets to know every customer that comes in and just loves them from all different walks of life. Well, a, uh, 
a couple came into his shop a few years ago, actually several years ago, the case has taken a while to proceed. And they asked him to do a wedding cake for their same sex ceremony. They wanted a rainbow cake. And because of his religious beliefs, he referred them somewhere else. Well, they filed suit against him as well as the state of Colorado. The state also sued him for declining to create that cake. They said that it was a violation of one of these public accommodation laws. That case has gone all the way up to the Supreme Court. And I actually got to go to the argument in December and hear the arguments before the court. And the court's going to decide that. It may seem like it's just about cakes, but that case is putting right in front of the Supreme Court the right of every creative professional to create freely, to follow their own values, and to be able to refer out projects that aren't going to work for them for whatever reason. So those are the kinds of things at stake there. And we were talking about the diversity of thought. It occurred to me when I was at the Supreme Court and on the steps, there were two different rallies that had set up outside, one sort of for Jack and one against Jack. And I thought how beautiful it is that there are people there on both sides of this issue that have strong feelings from whatever has come before in their lives about this. And they're here exercising their free speech rights to tell the whole world what they think about this issue. And, and then I thought, I don't think they realize that we're in there arguing to try to protect their rights on both sides to be able to make their voices heard and to create things and to speak things freely. And that's such a cool experience and thing going on. So we have Jack's case. We have a couple other cases like that. It's not all in the wedding context. We actually represent a t-shirt designer and printer in Kentucky who was sued because he referred out a gay pride t-shirt that he didn't think he could do. He has, he regularly does work for people in the LGBT community. He's uh, very supportive of a local band and has done t-shirts for them and they're an LGBT band. They're, and it's been interesting in that case because a number of LGBT groups have come out, including another print shop run by two women that are part of that community who have said, we support you, Blaine Adamson, who's the owner, because we understand that your right to refer out a t-shirt that concerns you because of your beliefs gives us the right to do the same because there are things we wouldn't want to print. And it's interesting to see how that case has brought some people together on both sides of the issue and goes beyond the wedding context. Because I think sometimes people think if they're not directly dealing with weddings or if they get out of dealing with weddings, then they don't have to worry about any of this. But like we talked about earlier with political beliefs, with all kinds of things, it's bridging beyond that. So just to talk a moment about too, what my team is working on is we're actually representing individuals in the creative professions who have decided that they are very concerned about the laws that face them. And so they wanna do something about it before they get sued and before they're put to that, that kind of a decision. And so they're filing lawsuits to challenge the laws that are in place, particularly ones that are very broad and have criminal penalties to be able to get the state to confirm that those are unconstitutional applications of what would otherwise be laws that would just ensure access to basic services. And so those are called, we call them pre-enforcement lawsuits because nobody's been enforced against. But we represent here in Phoenix, a calligrapher and an artist who met, I think through their church, and began a business together. They do a lot of wedding invitations. And as they started to learn about the law in Phoenix, they realized they could face misdemeanor charges if they refer out certain projects that they just didn't think they could do because of their religious beliefs. And so they've challenged that law and that's gonna to go to court here in about a week and a half, it's on appeal. 
but we also represent a filmmaker, a similar situation in Minnesota. Minnesota as a state has a criminal statute that says it's a crime to refer out or to any way treat any group differently that's listed in their ordinance because of their characteristics. And as you know, as a creative professional, referring a project that you that you can't do because of your beliefs or your conscience isn't treating anybody different because of who they are. It has absolutely nothing to do with who it is that's asking you for that project. And that's the case with all of the clients that I run into. They just can't speak certain messages because it's just something that they can't use their own personal skills, that creative process to create a message that just isn't part of them. Right. I mean, that's, that's so huge. Like, it's not, I think a lot of it too comes down to just thinking that like art is really just this sort of commodity that like you can just package it up the same way that, you know, giving access to somebody going to the bathroom in your shop is like, it's not the same, like you, you're not just creating widgets on an assembly line when you're a wedding calligrapher or like, I mean, so many people that I know that even do things like t-shirt creation, which can be very commodity oriented there's actually like a passion in them for design and they love the texture of shirts and they love like the ability to create like that comes out of an internal drive that is not something that can be forced. It has to come out of passion. And whenever you, you, you put these sorts of restrictions on top of people, like no one is going to benefit from that. Like you're not going to get it. Like it just seems like super childish and immature to me to go to a creative professional and be like, you have to create for me because like you're rejecting me if you don't. Like that's just like, I don't know, it's just something super selfish and immature about that to me. Like, that, I wouldn't that. want somebody to. We've had situations where our organization has been referred somewhere else or where I've personally been <laughs> referred somewhere else and it, like I don't want somebody to create things. When I got married, I wanted to find somebody who was doing work for our wedding that cared about me and my values. And if it was something that they didn't want to do because we were married in the church or whatever reason, I would have been fine with that. I don't want somebody having to use their creative energy to create something for me that they don't believe in. And I think you're spot on. Blaine Adamson doesn't print t-shirts because he likes making t-shirts. He does it because he likes the design and the creative element of that, that you're creating for somebody to wear. And you're just so spot on in my mind about what it takes to be a creative professional and how personal that process is. Yeah. And also it's, it's like, if we want to have, I I guess that this might not be like, most people might not want unity. Maybe that's just something that like other people don't care about. But like, to me, the only, the only thing that you get from trying to like, destroy another person's ability to have creative expression is revenge like it's it's straight up something that comes out of anger it's like like there's so many stories about like revenge stories or whatever but like the ultimate lesson is that stuff never actually makes you full it never makes you happy it's always just like a way for you to to feel like you put somebody else in the dirt that like was that hurt you which is just not like it's not good it's not communal. It's not not hopeful. It doesn't give the world any gift. And I just think that's that's really sad that that's what people like the law right now is helping people to do that. Yeah, and you can see because of the way the creative process works, where it comes out of your mind and your heart and 
all of your energy is going into creating something. It's such a quick link to thought control and to the government really controlling what people can think and controlling culture. Because as you said at the beginning of this conversation, art and the creative process drives culture so much. And so you have the government coming in and really putting a damper on that. Tell me about that, um, the, the dude in Minnesota who's doing, doing films. That one particularly was a little bit shocking to me because it had nothing to do with like someone coming to him asking for anything. Like you said, it was a, a, a preemptive thing. But yeah, just tell me, tell me about that case. So that case, is, the clients in that case are Carl and Angel Larson. They own Telescope Media Group, and they make films for people. They work a lot with the church, but they also work a lot with the public, uh, making promotional films for various organizations. They want to continue doing the promotional work, which could get them into trouble under the law. But they also want to start telling wedding stories. And that looks like to them being able to provide filmmaking services at the wedding, to film the wedding, but also to cut together and to make beautiful wedding videos that couples can take with them that tell the story of their engagement and their marriage together and their new life starting out. And it's because Carl and Angel have a particular heart for marriage. They've been married quite a long time. They have eight children, some of whom they've adopted, and they just have a real heart for welcoming their community in and to seeing strong families built as a building block of community is something that helps our culture. And so that's sort of what's motivating them to get into that. Minnesota, however, very clear in things that uh, various officials for the state have said, as well as the law itself, that if they do this work, they have to create the same wedding videos for same-sex wedding, even though that's not the image of marriage that they believe in because of their biblical beliefs. And right. so they, they'll face criminal statutes, huge fines if they go into doing that, what they see as a ministry that they want to start through their business. And so they have filed a lawsuit in the courts to ask the courts to weigh in on how that lays down when you're talking about making a filmmaker create a film telling the story of engagement in marriage and of marriages when it's a particular view of marriage that they want to discuss. Uh, and so that case is currently in the courts and we will be seeing more decisions coming from that soon. But I think Minnesota illustrates one of the big problems we see in that the law is so broad, the commission has become very aggressive in how they interpret it and how they're applying it and have been very clear that it applies to these kinds of projects if anybody were to decline or to refer. And to refer is also an important part because that seems like not much to refer somebody to somebody else that you think would do a better job, as well as the right, fact right. that there are criminal penalties there, which is pretty scary. Yeah. So basically, like one of the things that when we were talking earlier about that, that was really interesting and worrying was that like they could make a make a, a video that's not even really about like it's not even in service of a specific couple, but like something that's like here's a, a movie about marriage where we've like shot like six or seven marriages and we just wanted to show this as like a a hurrah to marriage in general yes. but what minnesota could do is say well you have to include a like same-sex couple in that in that movie yes yes absolutely and we could criminally prosecute you if you don't that's so yeah. scary to me it's like yeah. it is because that it's not even like they're they're not even rejecting a client in that that's straight up thought control. 
Yes. Uh, we also seen in Denver, uh, in Jack Phillips' case, the state of Colorado has come out and said that if you create any creative project for one person, you have to create that same project for anybody else who walked in to ask you, even if that changes the meaning of the project. This kind of goes back to your discussion about how infuriating, and it's infuriating to me, it is when people treat creative work as just a commodity. But if you think about that, we put to Colorado, well, what if somebody makes a white cross cake or a painting of a white cross for a nonprofit that's religious based for some kind of ceremony for them? Well, then do they have to paint a white cross and give it to a satanic group who they know is going to use it in some kind of ritual that would violate all of their beliefs? And Colorado's like, yeah, they have to provide the same thing to the same people. The message is just the same between those two paintings. And clearly it's not the same right. creation and the same message. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just like, <laughs> this is so scary. Uh, <laughs> but, I don't want to scare you. We're trying to help by filing these cases, particularly the pre-enforcement ones, to be able to challenge these laws on the front end so that states start, start to see what the consequences are of the way they're interpreting these things. Yeah, and just to reiterate too, like, I don't, I really, I have such a love for some of my friends that are in the LGBT community, and like, I Me think too. as a church, like, we really do need to be, like, doing a better job of being in dialogue Yes. together, but that really has to go both ways. Yes. I know plenty of people in those communities that do, like, actually genuinely want dialogue, but like, this kind of law is part of the reason why people in the church are so freaked out right now and so defensive and territorial. And I just think that like, we just need healing as a culture. Like we need healing from this. We don't need to like punish each other for thinking differently. We need to be like actually talking and that, that requires freedom. It does, so, <laughs> free speech actually. <laughs> but I do think the answer to that kind of healing is freedom for everybody. The more yeah, freedom, yeah the better, and it encourages that kind of dialogue. There, there's a quote from Justice Scalia in a case that I love talking about how the solution to speech you don't agree with is not shutting it down, it's more speech. We need to talk about it more. I just thought he gets this. We need to be talking about these issues more, not shutting down some people's right to speak. Again, that hits the, the bigger issue because if you shut down one person's speech on one issue, that gives the government the power to do that somewhere else. And we've seen in the last decade or so that the political winds change very quickly and the people in power change very quickly. And you don't want to give any government on any issue the ability to squash the other side. Right. I mean, the whole point is like minorities are the ones that have to get protected, right? Yes. But like the minorities change. So yes, the issues change. So it's like, it, it's just a really hard and complex thing to, to have to navigate. So glad you guys are doing that. I, I want to ask like one more question that's like maybe a little bit broader and <laughs> I know it's interesting to me, but it might not be something that you guys have dealt with a whole lot. But so let's say like right now the government is one thing, but there's also these these new thought leaders or like these new platforms that are coming up that have a huge sway in terms of determining how people can be creative in the way they operate. And that's like Facebook and Google. We all know that those those platforms are not actually totally unbiased, and we've seen right. <laughs> so much stuff going on the last, like you know, for instance, Facebook just recently 
Mark Zuckerberg apologizing for Catholic content being blocked up by ads. You know, just stuff my dad's had issues with getting his ads going. And I mean, there's just so many things right now in that regard that are really worrying. Like, what's what's the law? Uh, yeah, I mean, even, even if it's not necessarily law-based, like, where, where do you see that going in terms of free speech being allowed, not allowed? No, it's well, a broad I, question, but... <laughs> I think that, first and foremost, I want everybody to have freedom, and I think the more the courts and Congress and various state legislatures ensure that everybody has the freedom to run their businesses the way they want, the better. As some of these organizations get monopoly power, that's where you've seen the government come in to kind of break up monopolies a little bit. I don't know if we'll see anything like that, but what I really hope is that it comes from people, that our culture starts to move in a direction where we demand more access to freedom, more freedom of thought, more diversity of thought, and so that influences those organizations. Because I'm worried that what we're seeing, those organizations are reacting to what's happening in culture in the opposite direction. Right. More movement in culture to try to minimize and squelch voices that the majority doesn't like. And so those companies are doing what they're doing because they're going along with what the culture is demanding. And I'm hoping that will swing the other direction and that will largely resolve that because the companies will be doing what what's working for them, which is what people want. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting and very like complicated issue to me because I definitely am very much about businesses having the freedom to run themselves the way that they want to. But I'm also like torn because Facebook and Google literally like they're not like if if Google were to just say, yeah, we're just going to like make sure that all Catholic sites are ranked like 10 spaces below at every everyone else. Like mm-hmm. That would dramatically change the landscape, and in a certain way, like there is some some like fear that that's happening already, uh, and and there's but like a lot of the calls that are going on, especially with Facebook right now, especially with what happened during the election, Facebook just got raked over the coals for allowing people the freedom to use their platform the way that they wanted to use it, and so what they are doing now in response to that is trying to clamp down on content, like trying to become the ones that are like curating the content itself, which is like totally not what Facebook was trying to do before. Like they were always about we're, we're neutral, we're neutral, we're neutral. But now we're like getting into news and we're deciding like what 10 things get on the uh, like right side of the board and now they're curating content. So. This is, it's just, it's a really worrying thing and really complicated to me. I, I think that's how I feel about it too. <laughs> that <laughs> on one hand, you've got to protect freedom for everybody on whatever issue it is to speak freely. And I think it was a really good thing when Facebook was doing that. And I worry about sort of the curating that you talk about as well as the government coming down too hard on Facebook. So I think... We've just got to kind of see how that pans out. And like I said, I'm hoping it comes from people who demand more freedom and access in those. Right. And I think that's also like a really important thing that like what you guys are doing is only going to be your efforts is really important in, in, in order to like keep keep the barriers up in terms of like allowing people to, to express themselves and not be encroached upon by the government or other minority groups like 
the culture has to change. The culture has to has to be able to see that like that diversity actually diversity of thought is good and is needed and is necessary. And if I think that's our job, like we have to show that <laughs> as creators that, that that's important. Well, and creatives are the ones that we talked about are moving the culture. So I think there's a lot of power among creatives to to be able to change some of that and to encourage that kind of diversity. Uh, we keep saying on our team, we just want people to be able to create freely, and it's kind of become our tagline for ourselves. But I think it's so accurate on so many levels. So tell me about like just how people can get in touch with ADF and like what you guys are doing specifically for creatives right now. So we're helping creatives in every way that we can. ADF actually, anyone who calls ADF, all of our work is free and nonprofit. So we take phone calls all the time from creative professionals as well as other people, because uh, we have various teams that just have questions about how the law applies to them. Doesn't necessarily even have to be that they've received some kind of a request that they're concerned about, but certainly we take those calls and try to guide and help people with how to handle various circumstances. But sometimes people just call with questions about how the law applies to them, how they should run their business, just worries about all of this. and. I would say that anybody who has vague or specific concerns about this and just wants to talk to anybody, we're here all the time, free call, we don't charge, uh, and we're happy to talk to people about what they're facing and try to help them. Our team's also, as I mentioned, focused on the pre-enforcement lawsuits uh, and trying to help in that capacity by challenging laws that are particularly egregious that bring to the forefront these political bans, I don't know that I mentioned, but some laws have what's called a publication ban that actually restricts what creative professional can even say on their own accord. That gets somewhat at what you were talking about with Carl and Angel Larson's case, that if what they're putting out even in their own content could be offensive to somebody because of one of their protected characteristics, then that can be illegal. So we're trying to, to focus on helping with some of those laws to bring to the forefront how these can be applied to hurt the diversity of thought and hopefully bring states and cities to recognize how these can be appropriately applied and at what point it becomes unconstitutional. Cool. Do you guys only yeah, like represent, represent uh, white conservative males? No. <laughs> we have clients all across the board. Uh, so. Yeah, I just wanted to make you know make sure that we, we got that out there. Like this yeah. is for everybody, right? It is absolutely for everybody. We have clients from all different races and walks of life. I guess uh, of the ones I mentioned, uh, Brianna and Joanna, who are the calligrapher and artist, are very young women here in this area. So certainly, we want diversity. We're, we're serving a diverse population. Cool. Yeah. No. I mean, I. It's just. <laughs> I think it's awesome that you guys are willing even though you guys might have certain ideas or like beliefs about how these issues should play out, like you're, that you're willing to take up the banner on any side of the political arena because the principle of freedom itself is what's at stake and matters. Freedom helps everybody. And we've seen in other countries that civil liberties run together. So attacks on free speech hurt freedom of religion, hurt the freedom of parents to homeschool their kids, hurt all kinds of freedoms. Uh, and we've talked a lot about the diversity of thought and mind, but I think that's so critical to our society. And so we're litigating where the litigation occurs. Uh, and right now there's been a lot of focus on creative professionals as well as other 
other groups of faith, nonprofits, and even churches in some circumstances. Uh, so a lot of that litigation is going on there, and so that's where we are. That's our mission. But the principles that we're defending help everybody. Right. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an awesome conversation. How can people find out more about what you guys do and get in, in touch? Our website is adflegal.org. All of our contact information for our various offices and information about what work we do is all available there. Great. Well, this has been awesome. And hopefully, uh, if I, yeah, I mean, like you said, Dallas-Fort Worth has issues. I had no idea about that before this call, so I might be calling soon. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you <laughs> and, and anyone else who has any questions. All right, great. Well, Kate, thank you again. We'll definitely look forward to seeing you guys around the community. Thank you so much for welcoming us into your community. Dear everyone, this is Anthony. I just really wanted to say that this has been a big year for the community. And last year, we didn't know what the Catholic Creatives Movement really was about. We just felt like God was doing something and we didn't want to miss out on it. So not knowing what the hell was going to happen, around 90 of us creatives descended upon Dallas and showed up in person for the first summit. What happened there was really kind of crazy, and it's not something that could be really described or hyped up by a podcast, but suffice to say, we discovered new best friends, kindred spirits that we could share deeply with, to trust, to be in the trenches with. Some of us discovered love. Some of us got new jobs. Some of us decided to move across the country to work together. It was amazing. And in all of that, we discovered a huge mission, a part to play together in God's story of saving the world. You know, many of us have not really been able to believe that there could be an event with Catholic in the name where we could really fit in. Many of us couldn't see how it could be worth being away from our families or putting down our meager freelance savings to jump on a plane and head out, but it paid off for us in all the ways, even in money, because it created a really powerful ecosystem of talented allies that could trust each other. Right now, the second summit is only three months away, and we're praying over all the applicants and over who we feel like is supposed to come together for that. And we just wanna say, check your September now, because if you get an invite sometime in the next couple of weeks, you need to be ready to get it quick because it will sell out quickly. And trust me when I say we want you there and we don't want you to miss it. I can't wait to see you all in person. And I also can't wait for the life-changing conversations that are going to happen there. Finally, if you don't get an invite this year, I also want to say keep making. It's not a contest. It doesn't mean that you aren't cool enough or good enough or something like that. It just means that for whatever reason, we weren't able to get to you this year. But once we're through the summit, we do plan to do a series of regional events that will allow us to bring what happened at the summit to all of you. So stay tuned and keep creating.